brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason, and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hello. Welcome. It's uh, been a while since we had a chance to uh, chat about uh, basketball history, but I think we got an exciting show coming up here. Yeah, yeah. I've been jet-setting all across the world, and, well, not yeah. I mean, Nevada and California, but hey, you know, jet-setting all across sure. the world. Uh, but yeah. I'm back. I visited the home of, of the team that we're going to talk about twice here. And by visited, I mean I briefly drove by it, but hey, it still right. counts. And I was inspired, Jason, as I was I was driving by Sacramento, California, and thinking, man, yeah. Kings have been bad for a while, haven't they? Land <laughs> Jason, of the Kings, absolutely. Yeah. They have been bad. So they have been yeah. bad for quite a while, and that kind of got us ready. Right. It also kind of coincides uh, with the march towards the end of this uh, this NBA season, this 2021 sure. NBA season, and the revelation that yet again the Sacramento Kings – will be under 500 yet again the Sacramento Kings will miss the playoffs and yet again another pathetic yes. year for the Sacramento Kings so right sadly for the Kings it is their 15th consecutive season of um well definitely they are going to be under 500 there's no chance of them being under 500 as we are recording this episode there is a very small chance that they could make the the playoffs so the three games out of the last play in spot there's five games left as is recording technically they could win out they could still make the play-in. They could then win the first play-in game, which would probably be against the Grizzlies. And then they could beat the loser of the 7-8 play-in game, which right now would be the Warriors or the Lakers, to make the playoffs. Now, even though our track record for predictions this season has not been good. Not great. Uh, yeah. Going to go ahead and still label this one unlikely. Now, so. I like this. I like this idea of the upstart Kings, you know, then then blazing right. through the, the play in, yeah. then then yeah. destroying either the Lakers and or the Warriors, which I'm sure they would do really easily. And then sure. going on a miracle run and while well, probably losing this, the conference semifinals. But hey, you know what? Right. It'd be right. the first playoff run since 2006. So I mean, right. that, that hey. would be yeah. Rick Adelman was their coach. Brad Miller was their best player the last time they made the playoffs. So it'd be nice uh, to see them do that. So are we are, are we are you and I officially declaring because there's some weird, you know, people argue about this during the NCAA uh, yeah. tournament every year. The play-in round to you is not the playoffs, right? I believe the NBA itself has declared that the play-in is not the playoffs. Okay, so if they made that play-in round, we are not considering that 
the quote-unquote playoffs. Yeah, I, I no, I, I think okay. they have to actually win through the play-in round to actually qualify for the playoffs. And now the NBA also, you know, doesn't consider, you know, the BAA and, uh, you know, NBL. <laughs> right, so maybe we should so Yeah, so I'm not 100% always going to go on board with what they want. But I think in this case, I, yeah, I, I feel more comfortable saying. I'm glad we're avoiding the subject this year, frankly, because if they had, you know, if they were going to make it to the play, and I'm not sure how I would feel about that, but... Anyway, um, let's let's tackle that issue. You know, if that ever happens in the future, we we can make an official ruling. Right now, I am leaning toward you. Ha- you have to win in the play and make the playoffs to really cons- be considered a playoff. Yeah, I'm fine with that. It'll make it it'll make this uh, series and the King streak of, of patheticness uh, a little bit better. Uh, to, it, yeah, it just adds another year to it. Makes it a little bit longer. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with that. But I guess we'll, we can revisit that in a few weeks when we see how it all plays out. There you go. So, yes. So the official topic of this show is the longest streaks of sub 500 seasons. So uh, we actually did one a few years ago, now a bit outdated because the Kings keep extending their streak of longest, <laughs> yeah, of longest playoff droughts. Now we are we're, we're doing the uh, longest streaks of um, of, uh, you know, sub 500 records, the longest uh, stakes, as I had typed in our uh, episode notes, which the, you know, the longest stakes would be interesting. Ooh, but, uh, <laughs> I didn't but, even notice that. I must have yeah. subconsciously been like, Ooh, nice. Yeah. A steak. Everybody <laughs> loves steak. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes. So we are going to start with the, the current Kings iteration. And, and by the way, there's more than one for the Kings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and both which of them is, uh, are long. Both yes. Are, they're not. Uh, the, the next one's not five years, people. It's a little no, bit long too. <laughs> no. Yes. So yes, this is, um, I, I, you know, again, they're as, as we mentioned, you know, longest um, streak in NBA history, tied for it with lack of playoffs. Assuming what we believe to happen happened with the 1977-1991 Braves Clippers, and yes, they've tied their own record for 15 seasons, 2007 to 2021, uh, and it, of course, it could continue of um, being set under sub 500. We'll get to the other one in, in a few minutes, but let's go through this one first. We talk about some of the major events that occurred in the Kings franchise between 2007 and 2021. So first big one, 2008 season, they trade Mike Bibby in the midseason to the Atlanta Hawks. Bibby, the last link to the Kings mm-hmm. glory years, you know, you've got, um, you, know, you got Chris Rubber, you got Peja Stokovic, you got Bobby Jackson, uh, you got Vlade Divac, you know, you got all the core Scott guys Pollard, out there. Scott Pollard, Scott Pollard, yeah, Lawrence Funderburg. Lawrence Funderburg way is is way gone. It's it, <laughs> oh. it's sad. Yeah, even even Rick Edelman's gone. You know, and um, yeah, now you're down to, you know, you've got uh, yeah Mike Bibby, and they were like, all right, Mike, you know, it's been nice, but we're going to trade you to the Hawks. We'll let you, you know, take the uh, Celtics to seven games in the uh, postseason. Um, and they also in the off season in 2008 also trade away, you know, their, their best player at the time, uh, Ron Artest, uh, officially embarking on a rebuilding project. They're building around 25 year old shooting guard, Kevin Martin, who, you know, Hey, he had 24 points per game that year, 62 true shooting. So he's at least a pretty good offensive player kind of being their best young player. So they decided to do that. 2010, you know, it's looking okay. Like, um, you know, they, they haven't exactly, I mean, 2009 was, was a struggle. We'll get to that in a moment, 17 and 65, not a good season, but you know, 2010, they get Tyreek Evans. He's named rookie of the year. He averages 25 and five, you know, which is, uh, which is yeah, pretty good. Uh, they also draft to Marcus Cousins fifth overall in the 2010 draft, you know, doesn't seem like too bad of a rebuilding start. 
Unfortunately, Tyreek Evans, pretty much that was his peak year. And uh, while DeMarcus Cousins is certainly a productive player and, and does some good things, he also has uh, some challenges that we, we'll get into a little bit later. So, yeah, but, you know, you, you could say, oh, yeah, hey, I think things will turn around. You got Paul Westfall as the coach. You know, he's, he's had some, you know, good history there. He's a little bit older, but, you know, he's so, you know, things are not necessarily, you know, maybe now they're not like looking super up, but they're not like super down. But you, you might think that they might be doing OK at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the talent, there, there's definitely some talent there. And you can definitely see if you look at, you know, this this era of Kings teams, you can see a team that that maybe in the Eastern Conference makes a low end eight seed, maybe in the Eastern Conference, bear, just, you know, get that, you know, one game above 500 record or whatever. Yeah. The problem right. though is also playing in, in, in what still is a loaded West and what has still has been a loaded West for many, many years. So you get a team here that's not all together, that has a few pieces, but not all the pieces. And they just, they just can't compete. And, 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 and the talent is there. The, 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 you know, the, the raw talent for a few of the guys is definitely there. It, it just doesn't come together. Uh, it does not become winning basketball at this time, unfortunately. And obviously, as, as you know, uh, because we're talking about the present Kings team, it doesn't really become winning basketball. Ah, uh, well, really ever yet. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> uh, 2012 Jimmer Mania comes to Sacramento, and all you know, uh, 7.6 points per game on 49 true shooting. You know, the Jimmer Mania. It's uh, exciting times. You know, they're uh, they're you know c- continuing a little bit of the uh, stall. Paul Westfall that year, he starts two and five. They're like, yeah. We're going to get rid of Paul Westfall. We'll decide we'll have uh, Keith Smart. The um, Kings did have a very good move, though. They drafted Isaiah Thomas, 60th overall. Mm-hmm. So they got him at the last pick of second round. He ends up you know, becoming a uh, a pretty good player for them. Uh, they don't really get a chance to keep him, unfortunately. They, they kind of trade him away. But, uh, you know, at least they, they got a couple good years out of Isaiah Thomas. Um, May 2013. So something that's very important during this time is there are – constantly you know rumors or um you know their discussion um news about the fact that the kings might be relocating out of sacramento uh, in 2011 they actually were seriously looking to relocate to anaheim they filed some trademarks on some new team names including the anaheim royals they had you know had talks in other markets but it was getting very serious in 2013 about a move to Seattle. In fact, you know, they, they came to an agreement with a Seattle ownership group early on in 2013. And, you know, very seriously looking to do that. They, the, the deal was done. They were looking to do it. They apparently they were going to have Phil Jackson come in and be team president. It was going to be a new Sonics. It was going to be exciting, but then uh, cooler heads prevailed. Sacramento kind of made an offer to, to get an arena going. And then uh, the NBA, um, ownership committee just, you know, and, and then overall the league owners rejected the move from Sacramento to Seattle, which pretty much, you know, killed the sale. And then Vivek, Vivek Ranadive, uh reaches an agreement with the Maluth family to purchase a huge amount of the Kings, uh, about $350 million. So finally the Kings safe in Sacramento. So things are great, right? Uh, oh yeah, I'm sure <laughs> they yeah. will never, ever be considered. Yeah. I mean, things are at least as, as of this, Recording, you know, things are, are are good. Obviously, with the new the, the new building and that sort of stuff, but it, it feels like a constant. As long as I have been an NBA fan, it feels like the Kings are on shaky ground here. I think mostly because they play in Sacramento, which is by considered by many not really 
as big of a city or, or a true kind of basketball city or a true major city like a lot of these other uh, NBA franchises around. I mean, most everyone now these days are in a pretty big city, a city that you can at least, you know, justify saying, yeah, that's a major city in America. And Sacramento still kind of remains maybe the one of the weirder or, or kind of smaller uh, cities on the entire thing. So there's always, as long as I, even when they were good, even in the day when they were really, really good and, uh, and not, you know, the seasons that we're talking about here, there was always a, okay, yeah, they're supported by their local team, but how long can they last in Sacramento? How long can they last in this city? How long can they last in this building? All that sort of stuff feels like it was always coming up. I mean, 2011, there was that, the, the, the stuff about Anaheim, which we'll talk about a little bit with the Clippers as well. Anaheim, uh, a constant, uh, uh, source of, uh, of attempt, uh, you know, move, uh, leverage here. But, uh, yeah, there's, you know, Virginia Beach got mentioned a bunch. The Seattle one, like we said, got super, super close. But, uh, yeah, it all, it, it feels like they've always been on shaky ground. And I would say, I guess now is the least shaky ground they've been on, but you never, you never know what's around the corner with Sacramento. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And the other cities that are, you know, more small markets, you know, like Salt Lake City or Oklahoma City, those are places where there's not a lot of competition for, you know, pro teams. There aren't like, you know, Sacramento, it's the middle of California. There's, you know, dozens of teams, um, you know, not in Sacramento itself, but, you know, within an hour or so, there's lots of options to follow other sports teams. A lot more competition there where the other markets where you might have some concerns about it, there's not nearly as much competition for it. So they're probably in a little bit of a safer spot in those places where in Sacramento, there's definitely you know, a lot more competition. Yeah, there, the regionality but, of, uh, of, of Utah Jazz fans, the regionality of o- o- Oklahoma City Thunder fans right. can stretch be well beyond the city and into you know neighboring states and all that sort of stuff. Whereas the Sacramento Kings, it's like I mean, if you live two hours away from Sacramento, you're probably just a Lakers fan. You know what sure. I mean? And if yeah. you live you know an hour west of Sacramento, I would hope that you're a Golden State Warriors. So it's like, who are they serving? You know, especially in that market is very difficult. They're serving you know that community uh, and maybe people a little bit to the east and like Eastern California. But for the most part, yeah, there, there's a good chance that you're probably a Lakers fan. Oh yeah, the Clippers are there too. So if you're not a Lakers fan, you also have the Clippers. And then now you have the Golden State Warriors. And it's like, yeah, it's really hard to kind of carve out a niche. Uh, for the Sacramento Kings. Sure. So with the new change in ownership, longtime GM Jeff Petrie is out, replaced by Pete D'Alessandro. So, you know, um, Vivek Ranadive, I, I have a hard time saying his last name. Vivek, we'll just uh, go yeah, by his Vivek. first name. Yeah, we'll go like, like, like Madonna, you know. Um, <laughs> he is definitely on that level. You're right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So. <laughs> You know, he's, um, he has outlandish ideas like Madonna. So, that's right, right. Yeah. He's, well, he's, you know, he, he's, he gets attention. Certainly, he's actually been involved in the NBA before he was a minority, um, owner of the Warriors. You know, he's the first, um, you know, o- owner f- from, uh, India. He was born in India. Uh, he is, uh, has a, you know, a lot of, um, uh, you know, knowledge and tech, that's where he made his money. And, you know, so he's considered sort of an innovator, sort of, uh, you know, someone who has innovative ideas. So he says, well, maybe we should consider the idea of uh, cherry picking, you know, just uh, have one player on offense the entire time and just do a four and five on the end and see how that goes. That idea kind of gets laughed at. There's also a bit of instability in terms of like the front office and the coaching, uh, the Kings, you know, they, they start off pretty good under, you know, Mike Malone. They've, they've, they've hired him. This is the 2015 season. DeMarcus Cousins playing really well. And then uh, Cousins misses 10 games with viral meningitis. The, the Kings kind of fall apart in those 10 games. And then they're like, you know what? We just need to get a coaching change. We need, we need a new coach. You know, we need to, we need to be good this season. Darn it. You know, we, we can't waste any more DeMarcus Cousins' you know, good play. So they go to Tyrone Corbin. 
Corbin uh, goes seven twenty one, and they're like, you know what? We need to get George Carl. George Carl mm-hmm. is, you know, and George Carl yeah, a great history of being a great coach. You know, um, you know, lots of good years in Seattle and Milwaukee and Denver. It, you know, makes a little bit of sense now. George, George is a little cranky. There's, there's some issues there, but you know, it's not entirely the worst idea. But um, you know, also given the personalities there, George Carl and Demarcus Cousins, sometimes it, both that's, guys yeah, that's, hard to get along with. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is is I, I don't mind George Carl in a vacuum, but George Carl right. and Demarcus Cousins, right. and George Carl talking to Demarcus Cousins, and George Carl right. getting along with Demarcus Cousins, that felt like that was going to be a bridge too far. And uh, Jason, not to spoil it, but. Uh, it was uh, not good. It did not, not, not go good, no. great. <laughs> yes. So yeah, the, the Kings finished that season twenty nine and fifty three, despite Cousins having his first All Star and All NBA season, being on the second team. So at the end of that twenty fifteen season, Vlade Divac officially named there the top go. decision maker in the Kings uh, front office. I'm uh, sure that Sandra went great. Yeah, <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. that that didn't right. go well. I mean, come on, uh, Vlade. Yeah. It's, it's a Kings right. legend. Like he's got to be good at. Sure. Making and, decisions, right? Right. Yeah. Chris great Nolan passer, said, great passer out of the post. Like he's got yeah. to be a good decision maker. Right? Uh, hey, you absolutely. It, it totally translates. Yeah. <laughs> right. you know, Chris Mullen had been around there. He, you know, he was looking to be maybe, you know, take over the front office. He's gone. You know, he, he leaves for a, a coaching job in college. Um, and then Vladi's first major move. It's a cap dealing, a clap carrying clap, cap, <laughs> clap, clap, yeah. Cap clearing move, uh, a trade with the 76ers, basically getting rid of a lot of their flotsam. Uh, but they end up giving up a unprotected 2019 pick and they agree to a pick swap in 2017. So uh, it's like, well, it's OK, we're clearing that extra free agency. Uh, their big free agency hall was Rajad Rondo. You know, it was like still pretty good. Marco Bellinelli, he can shoot at least. Costa Kufus, you know, OK. Karam Butler. So... Um, not exactly like murderers row there, you know. Yeah, not, yeah. I, I remember the uh, I remember this happening in real time, and and right. uh, it was like Vladdy's first big move, like you said. And initially, when people were like, "All right, Vladdy came in there, he cleared a bunch of cap," and then people found out that it was a pick swap in 2017, and they're like, right. "I don't know if I do that, but okay." And then they found out it was an unprotected pick in 2019, right. and they're like, "Oh, I don't know if I would do that, but hey, they have cap room." And then they signed Rayshon Rondo, Mark Melody, goes to Kufa Zakaria Butler, and it was like. Oh yeah. no! Oh dear God! What are you doing? <laughs> like it was a right. good move at first, and then as you got to, into more and more of the details, and then obviously the conclusion of those details, it was just like, oh no, this is not going to go well, is it? And uh, it didn't. It did not. It, yeah. it definitely did not do yeah. well at all. So. And, and they, they would have had the pick to. Uh, they would have had the pick that could have been Jason Tatum instead of getting Darren Fox. <laughs> now, now, now Darren Fox is pretty good, but, but they yeah. got Costa Kufus though. So. Right. Well, I, they got Costa Kufus, so you definitely want to get that. So yes, um, twenty seventeen uh, King moved to the Golden One Center in downtown Sacramento, new arena, beautiful new arena, apparently. So they just say get, they get that accomplished. Um, February 2017, end of an era. Uh, the the uh, the Kings, they trade Omri Caspi, who's you know, been a longtime King, and Marcus Cousins to the Pelicans for former King Ty- Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, Buddy Heal, who's kind of the big haul there, and then a, uh, a first-round pick and a second-round pick. Um Zach Collins later being that first round pick. Uh, and then Cousins, in a, later in an interview with the Undefeated, said, Hey, I was told a week before this that by Vade and by Vivek that you know, I'm not going to be traded here. So this kind of you know comes out of nowhere. I think it's All Star Weekend, um, I believe. Like he's um, like you know, he, he's doing like a press conference right afterward. It's, you know, it's uh, during a time in which the NBA doesn't necessarily want that kind of attention. So 
Uh, and then yet in that interview later, uh, you know, there, he was asked, is there any part of you that wants to talk to Rana Dive or, or Diva? He says, nah, for what? It was a coward move. So I'm pretty sure I will get a coward response. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, <awesome. laughs> that's, that's a good quote there. So, uh, 2018, the uh, the Kings draft Marvin Bagley number two overall. This is the only time the Kings have picked higher than fifth during this whole era, which is kind of uh, kind of weird. And we'll get into like their record a little bit because that's kind of interesting. Uh, passing on Luka Doncic here, uh, you know, maybe yeah, passing on Trey Young even. Uh, you know, Marvin Bagley definitely has been you know the worst of the uh, guys who are picked in that and uh, then top five. There's some talent there, but definitely has. Uh, not produced compared to the other guys um, right around that range. 2019 things are looking up a little bit. You know, they do finish uh, 20, uh, 39 and 43. So, you know, very close to 500. They did miss the playoffs by nine games though. The, the West, as you of course mentioned, very tough, especially in this season, although they had played in the East, they would have only missed it by two games. So, Definitely would have been potentially been a uh, playoff. If they just moved to Rochester, everything would have been fine. But um yeah, so those are kind of the the, the big highlights uh, during the era. I, the best player of this era, very clearly, Demarcus Cousins. You know, playing from 2011 to 2017, averaging 21 points per game on 53 true shooting, almost 11 rebounds, three assists. Um, you know, played seven seasons and almost 15,000 uh, minutes with the Kings. You know, on the court, you know, everything's really good, uh, sometimes really great, uh, but some conflicts with coaches and others early on in his career. Uh, he was sent home at the beginning of 2012 by head coach Paul Westfall, uh, saying who said that Cousins was unwilling, unable to embrace traveling in the same direction as his team. It cannot be ignored indefinitely. And then Paul Westfall gets fired four days later. <laughs> yeah, it, it. We'll talk about the coaching changes here in a bit, but it, it's yeah. a it's a wild run of of guys in and out and 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 just just defun- yeah. a dysfunction from the top down in in, in right. this organization, and it's just. Nobody really knowing what's up. Never really. I mean, building around Demarcus Cousins, but at the same, always being in conflict with it. It was just always a disaster. I mean, just it, it, it sucks how good he was during this era, how productive he was during this era, and how it, it seemingly they got nothing out of it. And and there's you know obviously there's blame probably on both sides uh, there, but uh, Demarcus maybe being. You wonder how much different it would have been with an actual functioning franchise with Demarcus Cousins, and and we're starting to see some stability with De'Aaron Fox, like you said, he's he, he feels like a guy, but who knows? There was times when it felt like Demarcus Cousins was on the right track here, and then things kind of went completely off the rails and whatnot. So I don't know, man. It, it, it's it's wild, but it's yeah, the the amount of of coaching changes and turmoil and all that stuff going on in this era is just it. it, it we'd be here all day. I mean, we could literally do an entire show about the dysfunction of the Sacramento Kings over right. the last two decades, yes. and and. It could be an entire show on itself, and it's only half of this show. So, absolutely, yes. Um, so, a few more uh, lowlights, I guess, of, uh, of of cousins during this time with the Kings. Uh, November 2012, he was suspended two games without pay for uh, confronting Spurs color commentator Sean Elliott in a hostile manner after he had criticized Cousins for attempting to bully Tim Duncan on the court. Uh, about a month later, Cousins was suspended indefinitely from the Kings, who accused him of unprofessional behavior and conduct detrimental to the King. The suspension was listed two days later. And then in February 2014, Cousins received a one-game suspension for punching Patrick Beverly in the stomach. Although that's who, fine. I mean, yeah, let's be honest. Right. Patrick Beverly. So, yeah. <laughs> right. I think he deserves to get punched in the stomach a few times here and there. So sure. I'm okay that with that one. That one's fine. Yeah. 
Yes. You should be rewarded so, for punching by Patrick Beverly. I, every, I, every, I, every so often, not all the time, but yeah, every so right. often, you know. You, yeah, you, you, once you, a season. Yeah, yeah, right. So one guy once a season is allowed to punch Patrick Beverly. I, I, so. Seems fair. Yeah. So we'll have to add that to collective bargaining agreement next time. So, uh, number of coaching changes, they had nine overall, uh, including two in one season, as before mentioned, Mike Malone to Ty Corbin to George Carl. Uh, their best season, uh, as mentioned in the 2019 season, finishing with 39 wins. What's kind of interesting is that the Kings, at least lately, uh, you know, like the last, I would say since like 2013, they haven't really been a terrible team. They've just sort of been bad to middling. Um, mm-hmm. you know, outside of that 39 win season, they've won between 27 and 33 games every season since 2013. You know, and like I said, they have not really had a super high draft pick outside of either the Marvin Bakley pick, and they've finished above 430 percentage last past three seasons. So, like I said, they, they've sort of been, you know, it seems like they're trending up at least a little bit. Um, so we'll see if that continues. But they've been, you know, more, again, since like the, you know, mid part of, of the decade, uh, you know, not terrible, obviously not good, but um, more just kind of, you know, kind of there. And and many would argue, and, and including, I, I mean, the whole the whole point of, you know, Sam Hinkie and the process or whatever is, this is the worst thing you can be, is like, especially in the NBA, is to be, you know, bad enough that you don't make the playoffs and have no chance at actually making a run in the playoffs, but then good enough where you don't get, you know, a top pick. You're not bad enough to absolutely be in the bottom and have the best, you know, lottery odds. And it doesn't always work out that way. Some teams get lucky. Sometimes, you know, people find find their way into the, the you know, the bottom of the lottery or the, the top few picks or whatever. But still, they, they've always been, like you said, in this kind of middling area where, you know, bad enough that they're never a real contender but never you know never truly bad enough to, to get you know, like a top five pick never truly bad enough to get a shot at the number one overall pick and and instead have kind of patchworked it and 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 to be fair they've had a lot of talent come through they've had a lot of you know really really talented players but never like a run of you know two straight years or three straight years where it felt like they were drafting you know bona fide superstars they've always kind of had to get guys like you said out of the top five or guys in the top ten and and i mean they've done an okay job with it but they've also you know They've also drafted Marvin Bagley and stuff, so it hasn't sure. always right. worked out perfectly. But uh, for the most part, uh, they've done a pretty decent job of drafting. It's just they've never quite, they've never gotten the luck uh, of getting you know the, one of those you know top few overall picks. And, and really, when they do get that, they usually screw it up anyway. So yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. they find a way to mess it up. Anyway, <laughs> it, it is the king. So sure, the uh, the only truly historically bad team they've had during this whole time, uh, seventeen and sixty five in the two thousand and nine season. Uh, SRS and record wise is one of the 50 worst seasons in NBA history. But I, yeah, again, outside of that season, it's been more, um, mediocre than, or than terrible. So we'll see if that continues. Maybe they can turn it around. Uh, you know, the not looking definitely, they kind of fell off a little bit this season, but you know, maybe they'll get lucky in the lottery, get that number one pick and then everything will just magically turn around yeah. and be happy. And, and there, you're definitely gonna have to add a, uh, another coaching change there. I think pretty soon with one Luke Walton. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. right. We'll see. Yeah. But again, they, they, like they re-signed him. So maybe not, but I don't yeah. you know. Who know? It, you who never knows? know. You yeah. just never know with them. Never but uh, all right, Jason, we're going to take this in a completely, completely different direction here. Our next team is, let me scroll down, the Sacramento Kings, <laughs> 1984 right. to 1998. Yes. Hey, Rich, uh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, before we get into it, uh, uh-huh. I've got some breaking news. Oh, my God. Go. Is it about, this, is it about Luke Walton? It is not about Luke uh. Walton, but it is a public service announcement brought to you by Manscaped.com. And... The news that we've all been waiting for, the Manscaped engineering team, they have confirmed they have successfully created no. the Lawnmower no. 4.0 trimmer. No. Now way. available for purchase in the U.S. and Canada. 
No way. I'm led to believe that this new trimmer was released moments ago, Jason. Is that what you're telling me? Moments ago. Moments ago. Moments ago. Okay. Is that what I have on my desk right here? It is. Is yes. Is that what this thing is? Yeah. I got a package from you and I didn't, I didn't open it yet. I didn't know. Uh, what this thing was. So let me just quickly out. Oh, there it is. Now it's open. I now am going to join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. And, uh, and you can as well, of course, uh, with Manscaped's offer. We've talked about this on a few shows before, but it again is happening this time. 20% off plus free worldwide shipping. I think that's important there. Worldwide shipping as well. So no matter where you are listening from, you get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com. That's fansided20. At manscaped.com and, and, and Jason, uh, all joking aside, you know, we were one of the first few people to try out this new lawnmower 4.0 uh, trimmer. And I don't know about you, but I am blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, the details, the ceramic blade, the skin safe technology. It is so good that it almost, to me, seems as if Manscaped had to work with Elon Musk's engineers to improve this to ensure that it is as safe as humanly possible. This is really good. This Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. I can't believe it. Yeah, fantastic. And you know what really makes this trimmer different than all the other trimmers? It has a new multifunction on-off switch. It can engage a travel lock, created for people who love to travel. And now you know you and I, you know, you've been traveling, you've been jet yeah, yeah. all over the world. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So absolutely. And the Lawnmower 4.0, it gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when you need a more precise shave. It even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths from sizes one to four. And looks wise, you know, it's sleek. It is a two-tone matte and a gloss finish. It even features a hot foil stamp black chrome manscaped logo. You can show that off loud and proud. Yes, and that I, I have to say that the uh, I, I recently traveled without the Lawnmower 4.0 because I, I, I didn't get it in time, but I traveled with the Lawnmower 3.0, which is fine. The Lawnmower 3.0, as we talked about, is, is, is still very good. The problem, though, is that on-off switch and that travel lock would have been very good because my uh, luggage was vibrating for a quite amount of time <laughs> and I didn't have a chance to get to it uh, and I got a lot of weird looks from the uh, the uh, Uber driver that we had in Las Vegas who assumed that, uh, I don't know, the wife and I were uh, enjoying, <clears throat> going to enjoy our time in Las Vegas and I had to say, no, 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 I promise you it's a, uh, a, a beard trimmer. And they went, uh-huh, okay, I'm sure. And I was like, no, I swear. Like, let me, like, my wife and I would never have sex. There's no way. Like, you know, right. no. ensure them that indeed, no, 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 trust me, it's a beard trimmer. But anyway, uh, the optimized lawnmower, uh, lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof, so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. Also, it has a wireless charger, uh, a brand new wireless charging system using electromagnetic induction, which can help the battery length last even longer and if you're still trimming your face with your ball hair trimmer stop that it's time to make some changes and have a very important thing here you can have the manscaped lawnmower 4.0 don't be like me don't shave your beard and your balls with the same thing that's weird don't do that you got you don't have to do that anymore you're an adult you got you know you could you don't have to do that anymore so anyway get 20 percent off plus free shipping as we said with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com again 20 percent off plus free worldwide shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always have the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. We promise. Okay. Can I talk right. about Reggie Theus now? Yeah, please, please. Please talk about Reggie <laughs> We Theus. always are trying to talk about Reggie Theus. Yeah, I know. Never let I, never, I would never let you talk about Reggie Theus. It's, it's time. Finally. <laughs> it's finally, time. finally, it's time. To Reggie talk about Reggie Theus. Theus. So, yeah, yeah, as I said, I'm, we're going in a completely different direction and still talking about the Sacramento Kings. Uh, because sure. believe it or not, these guys also had 15 straight years of sub-500 records uh, from 1984 
1998. Yes, the Sacramento Kings, the Kansas City Kings, the it's not a great franchise. It's uh yeah. Jason, it's a bad franchise. <laughs> it's not yeah. other than the awesome period where they were like the most fun, exciting team in the league. They've been pretty right. terrible every other time uh, other than that. So, um, Hey, the early 50s they were great. Oh, that's true, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. right. Who could, who could yeah. How great. Right. Yeah. They were in the early 50s. Uh anyway, sure. the uh, number of times in the playoffs during this run, this 1984-1998 run, three times actually. And ironically, <laughs> in 1983, when they finished 54 and 37, as we said here, this streak starts in 1984. They did not make the playoffs in that year when they went 50, uh, 45 and 37, but they would make twice uh, the playoffs in 1984 as well as 1986 despite under 500 records because, believe it or not, the West always wasn't the most dominant uh, conference. There was a time period, a long time period, where the East was really, really good and the West was kind of bad, and that was this yeah. period. Right. Uh, and then after many years away, after 10-year absence, they would return to the playoffs in 1996 as well, and that's a team we'll, uh, we'll talk about here uh, in a little bit. So as far as major franchise events for this iteration of the Sacramento Kings, uh, one, obviously the, the biggest event to probably happen is in 1986, they moved to Sacramento. They leave Kansas City. They put Omaha in the rear view. Uh, they, they establish themselves in Sacramento. And for this team that has f- really kind of been all over the place uh, in its history, obviously starting as the Rochester Royals, moving to Cincinnati, doing the Kansas City Omaha thing, then just doing Kansas City. They've now been pretty firmly established in Sacramento for all those years. As we've said, it's always kind of on a wobbly chair, but at least they've, they've been there and they've stayed there uh, for quite a while. But um, some of the things as well, 1988. Uh, they hire NBA legend Bill Russell as head coach. Hey, he won a lot of titles and he won a lot of games. I'm sure by osmosis we can start winning games too, right? If he teaches our guys how to win basketball and it turns out, uh, well, Bill Russell can win a lot of basketball games. He can play very well. Uh, he can't uh, He can't tell the team. To, they, they tried this with Bob Cousy too <laughs> for, for years as well. They, they, this isn't the first time the, uh, the, this franchise has decided, hey, we need a little bit of that Celtics magic to help us go right. here. But, uh, yeah. Didn't work then, and it didn't work here with Bill Russell uh, as well. And, and an unfortunate uh, you know, major franchise event at this time is uh, the death of 1988 first-round pick Ricky Barry, who we'll talk about here uh, in a little bit as well. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to him in a sec as we kind of talk about some of the other stuff uh, that happened with the team. But a very tragic uh, uh, thing with Ricky Barry, who showed a lot of promise and, and, and felt like he was going to be you know, n- maybe not a, a, a major star or like a superstar, but at least a guy that they could you know, use in, in, in part of their core moving forward. Uh, and unfortunately, he, he passed away from suicide uh, after his rookie year. Uh, they followed that up in 1989 by drafting Purvis Ellison, uh, number one. That uh, did not go well because you are listening to this and probably a lot of people are going, who the hell is Purvis Ellison? Yes, that is a problem when uh, you draft a guy number one overall and a lot of people would probably say, I don't know who this is. Uh, in 1992, they acquired Mitch Richmond, uh, giving the franchise, I'd say their first star since Nate Archibald, but uh, you <laughs> believe that this, this might be a, uh, a disrespect to, to one certain player here. Yeah, Otis Burton. What we, you know? What are we doing here? <laughs> right, I mean, right. Come on, kids! <laughs> kids dreamed in their backyards, <laughs> in their driveways, of, of being Otis Burton. Yeah, right. Otis Burton was fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, yeah I, I feel this is. I, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I, I, you, you, you are forgiven, but uh, it's <laughs> definitely you know Phil Ford. I mean, yeah, come on. There, there's some. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's some great uh, you know. Man, Sam Otis Burns, he made on. three All Star games as a member of the Kings. That's yeah, they yeah. okay. All right, yeah, there you go. So that probably their their best team success in Kansas City was I all love, due uh, to Otis Burns. I so, love that yeah. his nickname on Basketball Reference is Bird. <laughs> it yeah, took a long right. time to come with that one. So, right. What are we gonna call <laughs> Otis Burns song? I don't know, Bird. Yeah. All right, that's fine with us. So that's... yeah, maybe song. It's yeah. Oh yeah. man, yeah. I, but, way. Uh, 
There you go. So anyway, Mitch Richmond comes right. to town, and he is good. Yeah. He's not as good as yeah. those Birdsong, or I'd say equally as good. How about that? Well, all right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> How about equally okay. as good <laughs> right. as those Birdsong. Very good. Um, how they got Mitch Richmond, I still don't know if I quite know why the Golden State Warriors traded Mitch Richmond when they did. But right. uh, in 1991, they decided, you know what, enough of this shit. We need to get rid of Mitch Richmond. And we need Billy Owens. I don't know. We, we need a big guy. You know, they, yeah. they need somebody who's tall and can rebound. And he was number three overall pick. So I think there was. You know, they believe they had potential in uh, of getting a star in Billy Owens. It just uh, it was a misvaluation. Yeah, he was because like, Mitch was like really good. <laughs> he was a part of a fun team and right. TMC. And it's like, all right, let's go. And he had like twenty you know points a game. And the Warriors are still kind of bad, but they're maybe going to yeah. be good soon. And then I, yeah, so I uh, suspect that the Warriors thought they were going to be getting billy ocean not billy yeah, right which is a very i mean if that that that's impossible to, to argue with yeah you got to trade mitch richmond for billy ocean for sure especially in you know 1992 the peak of billy ocean's run uh sure. you know you got to think hey you know what it might be a little bit of a down sleep but but i you, you buy low and you sell high and, and billy Ocean's stock absolutely is, it would be rising soon uh, as we know in the 90s it became you know a prolific uh uh, pop sensation throughout the the nineties. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, they get Mitch Richmond, and that uh, that is a uh, major franchise event. And then uh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the rest of the decade is pretty much like I don't know. They get Bobby Hurley. He was kind of good. They uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know. They get Vladdy Divac <laughs> later in the decade. I they weren't. They didn't do much the rest of the decade. Like what else do you say? Wayne Tinsdale was yeah. there. He was cool. Well, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it was a lot of like thirty win teams. Um, <laughs> right. They just they weren't know, interesting and, ever. Like, yeah, and then thirty nine win teams. Yeah, they um, yeah they had Gary St. John as their coach for yeah. like five years. I I was surprised by that. I, I kind of forgot how long he was coach there. Yeah, they just uh, kept you know turning out to teams with Mitch Richmond would, would score twenty five points, and then everyone else would just be kind of like okay, and then you know they'd uh, they just you know they made the playoffs in ninety six. Um, that was their first one in like ten years, so that that was a that's a good thing. They had but, those terrible race stripe uniforms. Um, yeah, yeah, um, that was not a thing. A, not a strong. I, they had the they had the 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 blue ones were were nice. I was like those, mm-hmm. but yeah, the race stripe ones. They, yeah, that didn't turn out well. So yeah, not a uh, aesthetically pleasing era for the uh, Kings, or you know, particularly basketball um, uh, pleasing ones. They have good fan support though. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, the fans that, came there to watch, you know, Corliss Williamson and Olden Polonies. You know, yeah, the, the stars of the Sacramento Kings. But well, they, I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, yeah Mitch Richardson was there, and, and he was great. So anyway, well, he is unquestionably yeah. the best player of this era. It is almost not even close here. Uh, oh, you sure. look at you look at the win shares, and he has 50.4 win shares. The next closest guy is Otis Thorpe. Yes, Kings legend right. Otis Thorpe Otis at Thorpe, 26. Yeah, yeah Wayman yeah. Tinsdale, who is awesome. Wayman Tinsdale is, isn't great. He had a 24.9 win shares. And I can I had to double, triple, Thompson? Yeah. quadruple check this, that LaSalle Thompson was their third best right. player of this era. I mean, that is... That is right. not good. That is a bad that, era. Yeah, LaSalle Thompson. Well, well it's kind of like LaSalle Thompson was there for a long time, so somebody yeah. had to keep up the stats. Yes, but it's just so. like I mean, well known as like an absolute bomb of, of of a pick and just a guy that just never lived up to potential. And he is you right. know top five of this era of of of, of uh, you know, the Kings. But anyway, uh, sure. Mitch Richmond, as we said here, uh, traded uh, by the Golden State Warriors uh, t- for uh, Billy Owens. 
And then, of course, later in uh, May of 1998, which we are not counting for this, but he is going to be the chain that's going to bring the Kings Chris Webber. As he, right. along with Otis Thorpe, the second Tyus Windshares guy uh, for the Kings, is going to be packaged together and sent to the Wizards for Chris Webber. And obviously that is going to completely change around the Sacramento Kings and get them in this nice little era where they're fun and they're good and they're interesting and they're actually a title contender. So, yay. Sure. They yeah. get that. But, uh, all right, number of coaching changes during this era, 10. 10 coaching changes. 10 coaching changes, yeah. Era. A lot of guys. So highlights, yeah. I'm just going to, I guess I'll use highlights. I guess I can name all of them, but there are a lot of people. Uh, right, Bill Russell, <laughs> he goes yeah. 17 and 41 in 1988. That's right. not good. Uh, Jack McKinney does eight years, or eight games, I should say, during the final year in Kansas City. And he right. quits because he goes, ah, this is stupid. I don't really want to do this anymore. Right. Dick Mata, Gary St. Jane, they get many, many years as well. Um I, I don't know. Eddie Jordan's there <laughs> for right. a few years. So, Phil Johnson at his second stint. Yeah. Rex Hughes is there. It's like, yeah. what Jerry are Reynolds. Doing? Yeah. <laughs> Who are these right. men? Why are they here? Yeah. So, and yeah. That's the Just Sacramento it. Kings. So, yeah. Not, not ideal. Yeah. 17 and 41. Uh, Bill Russell. Uh, not strong. Yeah, yeah, Dick Motta was the surprise uh, one for me. I forgot that he had. <laughs> so uh, old. I forgot he coached the Jing- <laughs> right. Kings. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I forgot he was the he was one of the three dicks. I think we talked about our last episode. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 So. So there you go. Anyway, oh, the good. best season in this run, nineteen ninety six, as we mentioned here, uh, thirty nine and forty three, their first playoff berth in a decade. Uh, they start the season on a five game winning streak, uh, but unfortunately that gets derailed a little bit on November tenth. They have a huge, huge in game brawl. With the Indiana Pacers, 16 players, eight from each team, get suspended. Uh, the highest uh, suspensions here, Dale Davis yeah. of the Indiana Pacers and Michael Smith of the Sacramento Kings uh, re- received two-game suspensions without pay, as well as $20,000 fines. Uh, those two really started the fight in uh, in the third quarter as the King would, would defeat uh, the Pacers. In Indianapolis, uh, Dwayne Coswell of the Kings was suspended one game without pay uh, and fined seven thousand five hundred dollars uh, for leaving the bench area while not trying to break up the fight. I think that's a creative way to say you joined the fight. So. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they said he left the bench but did not try to stop the fight. So uh, All right. <laughs> it's uh, a good way to say that he uh, he started the fight. Uh, other guys suspended: Tyus Edney, uh, Byron Houston, Serenus Mal- uh, Maris. I forget how. to to pronounce his last name. All right. It's all right. Sarunas Mir Mia. Yeah, there you go. Sarunas, you know who I'm talking about. Old Apollonies, Lionel Simmons, Walt Williams, a bunch of other guys. Everybody got suspended. (laughs) It's a big old fight. Yeah, Malice in the Market Square Arena doesn't quite have the same ring. It did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It it just, it it, it quite didn't. But uh, anyway, they would would tail off uh, with that hot start. They'd actually lose 11 straight games in February as well. Uh, Unfortunately, staring down their 10th straight season, missing the playoffs. The Kings, Mitch Richmond gets everybody together and they rally. They go nine and six in the final 15 yeah. games and capture the eighth and final playoff spot oh, yeah. despite yeah. a losing record. And uh, they would face the Seattle Supersonics and they'd win one game. They win game two yeah. on the road. Hey. Uh, but then they lose in game four. And then, yeah. Right. The Seattle Supersonics would make the Western Conference Finals the, or the yeah. champion. They would make it all the way to the NBA Finals, I should say. Sure. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they, in that year, Tyus Edney selected the all rookie team. So there you go. Mitch Richmond averages 23.1 points per game, named the All-NBA third team, and selected to the 1996 NBA All-Star game. So, yeah, nice year. Worst season, worst season, 1990, 23 and 59. 
this is a very strange year because so they they obviously have had uh, some bad years. Uh, they were trying to kind of get back on track to where they were in in in, in the mid eighties when they felt like they had a little bit of steam here, or at least the you know the early early eighties, uh, in the late seventies when they had I guess you know three straight years they made the playoffs, which is a good run for this franchise. But uh, they decide that what they need to do is acquire veteran talent in the offseason to combine with that young t- uh, core. So what they do in the final months of the prior year, they acquire uh, Wayman Tisdale, as we talked about from Indiana, Jason's favorite player of all time and executive of all time. Danny Ainge is brought in as well. You need some of that Celtics magic in Sacramento. Yeah, so you sure. bring in Absolutely. the key great. to the Celtics late 80s run, uh, Danny Ainge. And in the offseason, they acquire the corpse of Ralph Sampson. At this point. I, yeah. I mean, really, I don't know why they I, – I can't imagine they thought this was going to be a really good move. I think they just kind of got Ralph Sampson, but they got Ralph Sampson. And then maybe even more importantly to the Celtics' success in the late 80s, Greg Kite is brought in sure. as well. So you got to fly the kite and see what happens. Right. Uh, it didn't uh, – I'll tell you, they flew the kites and it did not go very well. So no. the team is uh, Wayman Tisdale, Danny Ainge, Rodney McRae, Kenny the Jet Smith, Vinny Del Negro – and the first overall pick in that draft. Never nervous. Purvis Ellison, baby. This is going to go well. This yeah. is going to go great. It's going to be fantastic and not the case. So obviously prior to the start of the season, uh, they're hit, of course, as we said with the tragedy, as Ricky Barry, uh, who had just completed uh, his rookie season, uh, he commits suicide after an argument with his wife, and he is is obviously, uh, he passes away, and you're left with one big chunk of your team kind of missing. You know, with that said, they, they win the draft lottery. They do get a little bit of good luck on the, on their side, and they select uh, Purvis Ellison with the first pick in the 1989 NBA draft. And uh, Ellison, just to kind of jump ahead here, he's going to play 34 games for the Kings, and he be traded in the offseason. So not, not great uh, value for your number one overall pick. Uh, after a 7-21 and uh, way to start the season, head coach Jerry Reynolds is fired and replaced with Dick Mata, who, Jason, I found out in research for this episode that Dick Mata today helps run a bed and breakfast with his wife in southern Idaho. So wow. I'm not saying if you're interested, trip. yeah, bring over. we can bring those lawnmower 4.0s with the travel lock <laughs> and you and I, Absolutely. it's on the Utah-Idaho border. It looks very nice. I have the right. the name of it. I don't want to. I don't want to say it on this podcast. I don't want it to get booked up real quick. But uh, sure, yeah. If uh, if your wife is interested, I think I could probably get Michelle interested, and we can uh, go to Dick Mata's bed and breakfast, and they there, can there, yeah, they can go away while you and I talk about the Dick Mata about basketball. So. There, there's nothing that I love more than Dick Mata in Southern Idaho. So I'm definitely <laughs> right. In. Right. So, yeah. I, Utah Idaho border, you know that, that. So you know, yeah, yeah, it's Idaho, but I mean, the, I, right. the war stories that Dick Mata could tell in his bed and breakfast would be fantastic. I would wake sure. up very early for that meal uh, at, at at the very, you know, I, I'd even use the the doilies and the uh, you know, every, everything that is needed at this bed and breakfast. But it looks pretty nice. I'm not gonna lie, it looks looks okay. okay so yeah, uh, maybe we'll email them and say, can we? Will Dick a lot? Will he talk to us? Or will can he? We, can we record at the bread and breakfast? That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. This yeah. we, it's a business right, expense live. at that point. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you so, go. Yeah. Um, just saying, just saying. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. Anyway, all right. Uh, at midseason, as things are not going well for this year as well, uh, Kenny Smith, of course, got, can't have young talent on your team. Got to get rid of Kenny the Jet Smith as quick as he can. <laughs> right. uh, he is traded yeah. to the Atlanta Hawks for Antoine Carr. So uh, there you go. Uh, Kings, of course, finished with a 23 and 59 record. Their lowest win total since the 1959 and 1960 Cincinnati Royals, uh, who both only won 19 games. And as we said, following the season, Ellison is traded uh, or to the uh, Washington Bullets. Danny Ainge is traded to the uh, Portland Trailblazers. And Rodney McRae is dealt to the Dallas Mavericks. So pretty much everything they did in the offseason is blown up and exploded. And they continue on their path of, of terrible, terrible teams for a while. Yes. So fun fact about Purvis Ellison. 
he, uh, you know, I, I kind of forgot about the whole, like, yeah, he was only traded in Sacramento after one season. In his third season in the league with the Washington Bullets, he averaged 20 and 11, um, like on a decent shooting percentage mm-hmm. and had like decent numbers. Like, uh, like, and then like after he left Washington, like two years later, he was like garbage, but he briefly uh, seemed to actually be a good basketball player. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, and he had a lot of injuries, of course, and his right, body yeah. just really didn't hold up to to stuff. And, sure, yeah, um, unfortunately. The, but yeah, that's do I, do uh, I, I want to use the uh, do I want to use the terrible Danny Ainge nickname for for Purvis? The never nervous was that? A, no, was no, Danny, no. Danny always never an asshole. <laughs> decided to give him the nickname out of service, Purvis. Oh, because wow. he was always hurt. There you go. So that's, clever, uh, well, clever, yeah, clever stuff, Danny. Out of service, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, weird, yeah. He was in '92. He was the most improved player in the league. I had uh, completely forgotten. Yeah, about I didn't. That, so. I actually kind of forgot about that run as well, where he was yeah. good. Where Sacramento right. Kings were justified. Hey, look, see, he's great. Yeah, so, yeah. After we got, we rid told of him. you yeah, he's good. good. <laughs> you have him? No, we traded him, but he's good. Yeah. We told you. The smart, the smart things. Yes. All right, so we are going to move on to the. The Fort Wayne slash Detroit Pistons of 1957 to 1970, uh, 14 consecutive years of uh, under 500 records. And, uh, well, the number of times in the playoffs, well, they went to the playoffs eight times because it was uh, a different league. You know, most of that time there were either eight or nine teams in the league and six of them made the playoffs. So, you know, you had a high percentage of making the playoffs in that time. So um, even though they were under 500 all those times, yeah, they, they had a a decent number of uh, playoff appearances, uh, especially through the early sixties changed a little bit in the late sixties. Uh, they even advanced in the playoffs twice in 1958, which was their first season in Detroit. They beat the Royals who were in their first season in Cincinnati uh, in the Western division semifinals. They would lose to the eventual NBA champion, St. Louis Hawks. And then in 62, they beat the Royals again, this time three to one. And they fell to the Lakers in the division final. So, um, you know, had a little bit of success there, not not too much, but uh, major franchise events. Um, 1957, their last season in Fort Wayne, uh, they would finish 34 and 38. Their that record actually resulted in a three way tie for first in the West. It was a weird season, um, but they ended up being seated third after losing a tie breaking uh, game to the Hawks, who eventually would make the finals that year and take the uh, Celtics seven games. Uh, after the season, they would move to Detroit. Uh, you know, in Fort Wayne, they'd had a lot of success. They had um, made the 55 and 56 finals in the NBA. Their roots in Fort Wayne actually dated back to the early 40s in the NBL. They won two titles there, and they also won three World Professional Basketball Tournament titles, which was the big tournament for kind of pro and semi-pro teams at the time. You know, a little bit like the smaller, but like the NCAA tournament for college. This was kind of the, it for the pro and the AAU teams. So, um, yeah, so they had, a, they had a lot of success in Fort Wayne, but the NBA was, um, you know, kind of moving to bigger markets, obviously. And, you know, Fort Wayne apparently a little bit too small for the NBA. I don't know. You th- I think a team in Fort Wayne could make it, right? <laughs> Today? Uh, um, yeah. No, I don't. No, I really don't. But, uh, no, all right. Um, Fair enough. Maybe, yeah. but no, I, no, I don't think so. Yeah, <laughs> you don't think that you know? Maybe if the Kings need to move place, they can be the Fort Wayne Kings. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. worth a try. I'm not with my money. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah with, no. With X no. money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
All right, so the river 19- industry is really looking good these days. So I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, is Fort Wayne? They're they're one of those river cities, right? I, I don't know anything about Fort Wayne. No, they're not even a river city. I don't know how. Why I, Fort not, even? I, I don't I, I'm not Fort sure. I got that. No, they, it was a fort at one point. I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> you know, forts. Yeah, forts are big. Yeah. Cool. 1959 midseason trade. Uh, the uh, the Pistons send their top star away, uh, George Yardley. He had just set a record with 2,000 points in the season, but he was getting older, and the Pistons were looking to move on. So they traded to Syracuse for Ed Conlon. Ed Conlon, not really a player of note. I'm not really sure why uh, they um, he was. Ed Conlon was younger, and it was okay, but uh, yeah, I'm not really sure why they traded their best player. Uh, there probably just because, uh, you know, they were sick of them. I don't know. Uh, 1962, the Pistons drafted Dave DeBusher, uh, fourth overall pick in the 1962 draft. They also uh, traded Gene Chu, who had been one of their uh, older stars, to the Knicks. That season, they also moved from the Detroit Olympia Arena, which was the home of the Red Wings, and it opened in 1927 to the Cobo Arena, which was brand new at that point from uh, from 1960. Uh, you know, was a uh, yeah, the giant hadn't even been thrown off the top of it yet. So yeah, yeah no, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the sheik had already bled there. I'm sure. Yeah, oh but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the minute so. it opened, the sheik was bleeding all over right, the floor. Yeah, I'm sure. exactly. Yes. Um, 1964, the Pistons missed the playoffs for the first time since 1949, their first year in the BAA. So they had made the playoffs every season, uh, in the league, uh, despite again, you know, having a, at this point, seven or eight years, uh, under 500 June, 1964. It's a trade. It is the biggest trade involving the most players in NBA history up to that point. Uh, the trade is the Pistons send Bob Ferry. Bailey Howell, Les Hunter, Wally Jones, and Don Ohl to the Baltimore Bills for Terry Dishinger, Don Coaches, and Rod Thorne. Of course, Rod Thorne, you know, being famous later as a uh, executive in the NBA for various teams. Um, Bailey Howell, probably the and Terry Dishinger, probably the most noteworthy players there. Um, yes, so this uh, there's a a really good post on Piston Powered from 2011 uh, by Dan Feldman, who he, he did some research to this. Uh, apparently, many of the players had feuded with the coach, uh, Charles Wolf, the, the season before. Unfortunately, the talent didn't really work out for their – Terry Dissinger was definitely the best player coming back from the Bullets. The problem is that uh, he unfortunately had a uh, ROTC commission um, from Purdue and it had to go into active military service after the season, missing two years and then, you know, was really never quite the same player in the NBA. He was solid, but, you know, he had looking like he could be a star. He had one rookie of the year. And then when he came back, it was just sort of like, you know, like solid, but not spectacular. Mm-hmm. So business don't get much out of that. 1965, uh, Dave DeBusher is named player coach. Going to get more on that and below, but we'll put a pin in that one. 1966, they draft Dave Bing in the first round. He's the second overall pick uh, in the draft. So, so good times there. 1968, rather, the Pistons move to the Eastern Division. Uh, Chicago, Seattle, and San Diego had all recently joined the league. And then the NBA finally recognized, hey, Baltimore is on the East Coast. Maybe we should shift things around a little bit. And Detroit ended up being the beneficiary, I I guess, somewhat of that. Um, 1969, they end up trading Dave DeBusher, who was the player coach for three seasons, uh, to the Knicks for Walt Bellamy and... Howard Comives. Um, so that ends up, you know, um, 
the busher ends up, of course, going on to great success for the Pistons. The Pistons actually do okay, uh, not necessarily with Bellamy. They they end up you know shipping Bellamy out, but they end up you know, doing all right. So it's, it's not necessarily the uh, worst trade ever, but um, you know the. the Debusher definitely was kind of the foundational star of their team during the mid '60s, and then you know the Pistons unfortunately didn't have a lot of success there. Uh, a little postscript: in 1971, after drafting Bob Lanier, the Pistons, who are now back in the West, this is the first season of conference play, they would finally break their under 500 streak. They had a 45 and 37 record. However, they failed to make the playoffs because they were fourth of four teams in the tough Midwest division, and. Uh, it, at that point, it was two teams per each division, um, and uh, then unfortunately, they were played too tough of a division and did not make the playoffs. So they were not able to make the playoffs until um, until the nineteen seventy four season. So, best player of the era, Bailey Howell, probably would be my pick. Uh, played from nineteen sixty to sixty four, averaging twenty one points per game, almost twelve rebounds per game. Uh, 54 win shares more than double of anybody else, uh, you know, kind of played during that era was uh, one time on the all NBA second team, four time all-star. You can make somewhat of a case for Gene Chu, maybe Dave DeBusher, you know, uh, Dave Bing definitely you know, was the biggest star for the Pistons kind of toward the end of this era, but you know, only like I played like three years of it. So I, I think um, Howell kind of is, is the better choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at the number of coaching changes, uh, there were seven, including five mid-season uh, changes. So uh, they had two player coaches, Dick McGuire, who was in his final season as a player, and then Dave DeBusher. Now, Dave DeBusher, his first NBA game as coach was on his 24th birthday, <laughs> 24 years old. I can, can you even fathom that in today's game? No, I, like, I cannot, it's just yeah. so hard to believe. Yeah. Like even like imagine like any 24 year old player in this year's this current NBA, like, you know, being like, all right, guys, come on. This is what I need you to do. Like, can you imagine right. any of the guys that are 30 years old listening to that 24 year old guy? Tell them what to do. There's no way. Yes, I, I, I cannot. No. Um, yeah. And from that same piston power post that I, I mentioned before, um, the uh the Busher was a little bit of an eccentric uh, coach. He, um, you know, he would, he had a habit of when things were a little bit of grim, uh, when they were traveling, he would pull a harmonica from his pocket after losing game <laughs> and uh, play a, a song. Love makes the world go round, but baby money greases the wheels. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure it's a, it's a jam. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, there were some reservations about DeBusher, you know, being so young, but they hated their coach so much that, you know, everybody was really excited. There's a quote from Don Butcher described as stocky. He said, even I dunked it and I haven't touched the rim in five years after, you know, all, each player immediately t- took turns dunking the ball into the basket. So, but yeah, it's, uh, didn't go well. Um, you know, they were basically under 30 wins all of, uh, those seasons or just, just, just at about 30 wins those seasons. Uh, and then DeBusher later would admit, like, yeah, it was a big mistake. I wasn't mature enough. It hurt me as a player thinking about what we could do on the floor. So um, interesting stuff there. Best season, they were 40 and 42 in 1968. They, they made the playoffs there with eight of 12 teams now taking the postseason. And it took the Celtics to six games. Actually, had a 2-1 lead in that series on the Celtics before falling. So, you know, it's a nice little season there. Their worst season um, – 1964, they won 23 games. It was their players feuding with uh, Coach Charlie Wolf. Or 1966, 
which was a 22 wins and was DeBusher's first full season as a player coach. Probably the realization that like, hey, this is not going to work very well. This is not a good decision. Yeah, it's a lot goes into it to, to, to try to do both, and yeah, it, yeah. it's <laughs> it, it right. it's especially the age, especially it's just yeah. yeah. There's a I, reason this never happens anymore. I, it probably will right. never happen again. So yeah, I can't yeah I, I can't really even imagine the concept of player coach plus much less a, a player coach of uh, of you know being that young. That yeah. just seems like you know, and I I know the NBA stopped having player coaches in the early eighties. I think uh, Dave Cowens was the last one in the late seventies. Mm. So this is not going to happen again, but uh, yeah, interesting stuff. You can have your, your coaches on the floor. And even, even those like the kind of like we have this guy on our team and he's a coach, like a coach on the floor. Or he's a coach on the bench. All those guys are like 38 years old. It's like Lindsay Hunter and like those types of guys, right. you know what I mean? In the, right. in the tail end of their career. I just cannot imagine like deer and Fox being like, you know what? Hey, deer and you're the fuck, you're the coach now. Like, right. like why? Like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, nor would you want to do that. As DeBusher said, like, yeah, this is stupid. Like, why am I doing this? This is, I have enough, I have enough to worry about already just trying to, you know, be good and, 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 and play well, let alone. I try to do both. So, yeah, not not a good not a good plan. Not a good plan. Yeah. So Dave DeBusher has the sixth most games um, as a player coach in NBA history. Wow. Uh, yeah. The uh, the five ahead of him are Richie Guerin with three hundred and seventy two. He had two separate stints with the Hawks. Lenny Wilkins with 328 with the Sonics and the Trailblazers. Paul Seymour with 279 with the Nationals. Al Servi with 267 with hmm. the Nationals. Nationals love their player coaches. Yeah. Uh, Bill Russell, 245, of course, with the Celtics. And then it, the Busher is next. So, yeah, one of six players with more than 200 games uh, of, uh, of doing that. So, yeah, uh, definitely, uh, yeah, definitely a rare thing. There's, you know, uh, there's a, you know, quite a, a decent number of players who had like, you know, 40 or less game stints, but yeah, extended stints as player coach, definitely not something that was super common. Definitely not. Yeah. All right. We're ready to talk wolves. I am absolutely ready. I would love to talk. about. Let's the talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves 12 yes. straight under 500 years from 2006 to 2017. Uh, they make the playoffs one time in that era, as far as major franchise events, uh, really kind of kickstart this era in 2007 uh, by trading Kevin Garnett this July 31st, 2007. Uh, they traded him to the Boston Celtics for Al Jefferson, Theo Ratliff, Gerald Green, Sebastian Telfair, Ryan Gomes, two first-round picks, plush cash, consider- cash considerations. Uh, at this point, the largest combination of players and picks ever traded for one single player in NBA history. Uh, and it's definitely you know justified because it's worth it. They win a title their first year. Kevin Garnett's great in Boston. It works out pretty well. But, I mean, that is a haul and a half. Al Jefferson, Theo Ratliff, Gerald Green, Sebastian Telfair, Ryan Gomes, and two first-round picks all wow. for Kevin Garnett. Uh Spoiler, it doesn't all work out for the Timberwolves as well as it did for the Celtics, as we as evidenced by the fact that they would go on to, you know, miss, you know, be under 500 uh, a lot more times after this. But anyway, uh, then in, in 2008, really kind of the, the, the new era, and there's going to be a lot of eras in this Timberwolves run, so don't worry. Uh, the right. Kevin Love era begins in the 2008 draft. Uh, they, they acquire him. They, uh, they trade OJ Mayo, Antoine Walker, Greg Buckner, and Marco Yarich to the Memphis Grizzlies in exchange for then fifth overall pick Kevin Love, Mike Miller, Jason Collins, and Brian Cardinal. The Kevin Love era officially begins. Uh, June 2009, the Khan era begins. David Khan becomes uh, the president of yeah. the team and, uh, is bad at making decisions and bad at making quotes and bad at being the president of the team in all facets of, of being the bad. We could do an entire episode on David Kahn things that happened, but we're not going to sure. do that because that's going to be, not, bad. No, but it's gonna be a bad show. But 
we could and we might sometime. Uh, November 20, uh, 2010, uh, Kevin Love at this point, you know, becomes kind of a bona fide star in the league, uh, becomes just kind of one of the better, uh, you know, stat guys in the league. He gets a ton of points, a ton of rebounds. He actually gets a franchise record 31 rebounds and 31 points in November 12, uh, 2010, the NBA's first 30-30 game in over 28 years. Uh, then... Uh, well, not a lot of stuff happens for the next few years. He's right. he is good. He scores points. He gets rebounds. Nothing else really happens with the team. Things don't go well. Things go bad. Uh, there's really not. I mean, we could again, we could do an entire show about this era of the Kings and just terrible, terrible decisions. But all you need to know is the team does not win in this uh, time period. Kevin Love is great. Team doesn't win, and then in August 2014, they decide that the uh, Kevin Love era is going to end, and then the Timberwolves. Cleveland Cavaliers and Philadelphia 76ers agree to a three-way trade that's going to send Kevin Love to the Cavaliers to join LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, the new formation of the uh, LeBron James announces, hey, I'm coming back to Cleveland. Uh, Kyrie Irving is already there. They have the number one overall pick, and they decide to trade that. That's Andrew Wiggins. They trade that pick to the, uh, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves in exchange for Kevin Love. Also, Anthony Bennett, Thaddeus Young, and a trade exception are part of that deal. Uh, so you get Andrew Wiggins. He kind of forms this new thing, uh, whatever the Minnesota Timberwolves are trying to do. Flip Saunders returns as coach. He was obviously coached during the, the glory days of, of the Timberwolves. So, hey, it makes sense. We'll bring him back. Uh, they actually end up drafting Carl Anthony Towns with the number one overall pick. You know, that's good. Andrew Wiggins wins rookie of the year. They're still not winning. Uh, Kevin Garnett returns uh, for the last run of his career. They're still not winning. Things don't go well. And unfortunately, uh, in, in bad news, Flip Saunders is uh, diagnosed with uh, lymphoma. Uh, and he passes away. Sam Mitchell uh, kind of takes over as coach uh, in the absence of uh, Flip Saunders. Uh, and then pretty soon after, that era is done. And now the Thibodeau era begins. On August 20th, 2016, the Minnesota Timberwolves agree to uh, have Tom Thibodeau become their head coach and president of basketball operations. He had previously been an assistant coach uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves from 1989 uh, to 1991. And Thibodeau starts kind of adding pieces to the puzzle here. The Jimmy Butler era begins. Yes, another era. Yeah, <laughs> on June 22nd, yeah. 2017, they acquired Jimmy Butler and the 16th overall pick in the uh, 2017 NBA draft. They traded to the Bulls. Uh, they trade Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and the 7th overall pick, which ended up being Laurie Markkinen, uh, to form the new uh, era here with Jimmy Butler. And they finally make the playoffs and finish over 500. But uh, everybody hates each other. They lose in the first round. And, uh, well, <laughs> for people that are watching the NBA today, the Timberwolves are bad again. Again, yeah. for many, many years after this, too. So, uh, yeah, I don't. It's, it's really hard to sum up this era of the Kings other than they go through many, many different eras and all of them yeah. are unsuccessful basically I, I, you uh, you said kings twice there when you meant timberwolves but it's, it's easy to like it oh my god i'm so sorry it's, yeah, it's yeah. Thing, but yes <laughs> uh, yeah it's um yeah it's been tough it, it, yeah, that kevin love era that looked like it was gonna turn like in 2014 they finished 40 and 42 they actually really outperformed or, or underperformed they should have been like a 48 win yeah team, yeah we're know? gonna talk about that team and, here in a bit i mean that's yeah a really, really and, fun team. yeah they, they were definitely a team you know looked like they that was gonna they were gonna be able to turn early on the decade but yeah love just um it didn't quite fit for whatever reason and um you know they ended up like yeah they 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 had that really it looked like you know that team with butler and um uh, and in new car Anthony Towns, obviously great talent. And, uh, you know, Wiggins, you know, definitely had a lot of potential. It felt like, oh, yeah, that's going to be a team that could, you know, be really good for uh, a while. And then, yeah, then the vibes get bad. Butler leaves. And then, you know, like I said, they, that unfortunately, despite Towns' talent, they just haven't really been able to 
uh, get much around him or have the right health or have the right mix or whatever. Yeah, it's been, it's been uh, yeah, it's been a lot of just weird decisions and bad decisions and stuff like sure. that. Just it, it like in all in all, what's so weird about this this Timberwolves run is like you said, like you look at it and you're like that team is good, like they have a lot of good talent, like just be good, just win games, and then they just don't. Like Carl Anthony Towns is like one of like just an incredible talent, like a really like a guy that can literally do it all on the court. I mean, except for I guess play defense, but uh, you know he can do everything. I mean, hey, you can figure out how to get work around that you can you know find some other guy and it's just never ever happens and they just they keep moving pieces around and hoping that one time it's going to click and it just never ever clicks but um We'll get to that 2014 team because that's, that's an interesting one here. But uh, the best player of this uh, this era of Timberwolves, uh, unquestionably Kevin Love, uh, 47 win shares from him during this time. Huge stats, uh, becomes one of the NBA's top stars at the time. It just never quite translates to winning. And this, I thought, I was shocked when I saw this. Kevin Garnett is second at 26.9 win shares. Now, okay, he plays only two prime years of his career. In this window that we're talking about here, this this, this 2006 to 2007. I mean, we're talking very, very minimal amount of Kevin Garnett years. And then he comes back in that last run. And by that last run, he's pretty much just a figurehead. He's just kind of there. He's still okay. He's still scoring a little bit. But I don't know. Jason, does this say more about KG or more about the franchise? That that in this run, which is not a clear Kevin, he's second to Kevin Love. Yeah, I mean, I do think that says uh, – it says a lot about both, I guess. Um I mean, yeah, the fact of, I mean, he was, he was, you know, incredible in those two years before he left and went to the Timberwolves. The fact that they couldn't build, you know, a a great team around him for so little of the time in which he was there that says a lot about the franchise as well. And it says a lot about the rebuilding. And, you know, they've had some good players um, since then, definitely some solid players. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I think it says equally about both, to be honest. Uh, other contenders here, Ricky Rubio, 23.2 uh, win shares. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, 20.9. Nikola Pekovic, baby. We're oh, going to yeah. talk about him in a little bit. Peck, 18.8 yeah. uh, win shares here. And goddamn Gorgie Jang is also an 18.7. I mean, this is yeah. this is bad. And then uh, Timberwolves stat stuffer back in the day, Al Jefferson as well, uh, Al Jefferson, uh, 17.2. Never quite had his top, top tier run uh, with right. the Timberwolves. That kind of came with the, the Jazz and, and, and a few other spots. Uh, that he would go, but uh, he was, yeah, he was, he was, you know, obviously came in the Garnett trade and and felt like he was going to be the next era, and then he wasn't the next era, and then oh. he was gone, and then obviously Kevin Love kind of filled that gap that they thought Al Jefferson was going to fill, but uh, just of course never translated to winning. Uh, seven coaching changes uh, in this run: Dwayne Casey, Randy Whitman, Kurt Rambis, Rick Adelman. I always forgot that Rick Adelman coached the Minnesota Timberwolves, but he did. Flip Saunders, Sam Mitchell, and then finally Tom Thibodeau. Uh, does the final run there. And then the best season, as we said, that 2014 season, uh, they go 40 and 42. Uh, they acquire Kevin Martin in the offseason, which, again, the second time we've mentioned Kevin Martin here. I uh, he had some much needed shooting to the team. And otherwise, it's there's not a ton of super interesting things about that team or that year. It's just Kevin Love was great. He had 26.1 points per game. That was a career high. Uh, he had 12.5 rebounds per game. That was good. Kevin Martin was really good when they brought him in. 19.1 points per game. He shot 38% from three. Uh, Nikola Pekovic was good. Ricky Rubio was good. And this, as you said, should have been that aha moment for this franchise. It should have been like, all right, here we go. We built something. Uh, but of course, then in the offseason, they trade Kevin Love. So it's like, oh, okay, right. well, never mind then. Yeah. Then they decide, ah, you know what? This isn't working. Let's blow it all up. And it's like, no, it was working. What are you doing? Yeah. Like, well, I, you know, they were afraid Love was going to leave. And they had yeah. And I think he made things. it pretty so clear I, I, that I'm kind of yeah. done with this whole thing. So yeah, um, I get it. But. Yes, obviously it has not really worked out that well. No, the Andrew Wiggins thing. And and it felt like Wiggins would be good, and Wiggins is not good. Right. So. Is, yeah. It's also not a Timberwolf anymore. So right. <laughs> anyway, uh, the worst season, without a doubt, is the uh, 2010 season. They go 15-67. and 67. 
Uh, the year, though, it starts out on the good front here. They have an embarrassment of draft riches, Jason. They have, yeah, yeah. thanks to various trades, six picks in the 2009 pick. They had four first-round picks. They have the number five, the number six, the number 18, and the number 28 slots, as well as the number 45 and 47 picks in the second round. Uh, unfortunately, the 2009 draft, uh, most known for the Minnesota Timberwolves, drafting two point guards and neither of them being Steph Curry because they draft Ricky Rubio, uh, who doesn't come over immediately because he's got you know stuff going on in Spain or whatever. But at the time, Ricky Rubio was a sensation. I totally get that pick. That's fine. It's whatever. But they had drafted another point guard, Johnny Flynn. Then the next pick, the Warriors go, I guess we'll get Steph Curry. We really wanted Johnny Flynn. But anyway, right. I guess we'll draft yeah. Steph Curry, this, this little plucky guy out of Davidson whose dad played in the NBA. I guess we'll take Steph Curry. Fine. Fine. Yeah, hey, he, Johnny um, Flynn. Yeah, it was great that that like six overtime game with uh, at Syracuse. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, Johnny Flynn. Yeah. Was, I I was right. I was a Johnny Flynn believer. I remember at the sure. time being like, dude, this guy's gonna be good. He's plucky. He's, he can yeah. get all over the court. He wears headbands. That's cool. Yeah, uh, it was not good. And uh, well, yeah, I, I think he was okay, but he got hurt. Um, and not right, that, right, you know, right, right. Yeah, not not that you would have wanted to pick him over um, Seth Curry, but still. Yeah, it's one of those things, too. Like, at the time, nobody really thought Steph Curry would be this, but it's still right. just in hindsight. You're just like, ooh. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think anybody thought that Steph Curry would become the best shooter in NBA. Right, I right. Like, I this man is going to transform thought, the NBA. Yeah. I mean, he got drafted, and he looked right. like a seven-year-old. You know when he got drafted? There's there's sure. nobody on that day that said, you know what? I think in 10 years, this guy is going to completely transform the way that this game is played. Nobody yeah. quite thought that, but still, it just stings that you take two point guards, uh, and neither of them. Uh, Steph Curry. Well, then they decide, hey, you know what? Let's take three point guards because then they draft right. Ty Lawson. They right. do trade Ty Lawson. They don't keep him. Then they draft Wayne Ellington. Then they draft Nick Kalithis. He barely, I think he came over like five years later or something like that. He had stuff to do in Greece. Uh, and then they draft somebody named Hank Norrell, uh, who was from the Good Netherlands. Name. He also yeah. never came over. But uh, yeah, they had a lot of draft picks and it ended up with Ricky Rubio, Johnny Flynn, and Wayne Ellington. So it didn't work out right. very well. Uh, it's yeah. a fun team, though, in some respect, in that they score a lot. They give up a lot of points. They have the NBA's fastest pace. Uh, but really, it's, it's, they score a lot of points, but in, in in totality, in the you know offensive rating, they're not very good, and defensive rating, they're pretty bad as well. Uh, Kevin Love, uh, as a trend is, he is good here, twenty point uh, two points per game, fifteen point two rebounds per game. Michael Beasley, yes, the Michael Beasley era in Minnesota, he was pretty good as too, nineteen point two. Uh, points per game, but things get really dicey after that, uh, after them in terms of like you know talent. Uh, Luke Ridenour, Anthony Randolph, who I always thought Anthony Randolph was going to be like the next big thing, and it never sure. quite yeah, happened. We all did. Yeah, Martel right. Webster, who I thought was really good too, and it never quite worked for him either. Yeah, uh, Wesley Johnson, and the last gasp of Darko Milicic on this, uh, uh, Darko, this team, man out from heaven. So, yeah, yes. yeah, all, uh, so. yeah. 8.3 points per game of yeah. from heaven. Yeah, he, was was, like, he was only 24 at the time. I know, and it felt like he had been in the league for 10 years at that point. Right. He, he yeah. had been in the league for like seven years, and it was just like, right. oh, yeah. yeah. You're yeah. still not that great, are you? And this is – I think he's talked about this era too where he just like felt like he had to still play basketball because I think right. – like you read about him now, and he's in like a very good place, and I think in his life and all that sort of stuff. And he was like horribly depressed when he was in the NBA and stuff. And sure. this, He mentioned this year being like the time when he was just like, what am I doing? Like why am I playing this? Right. I don't really right. want to play basketball anymore. Yeah. So. So good for him to, to turn things around. But uh, as we sure. said, they draft Ricky Rubio. He does not come over immediately. Johnny Flynn uh, gets drafted. He's pretty good for a while, but then he gets hurt, and that's kind of the end of that. And the team, they're 13-43 and 43 by the All-Star break, and they lose 15 games in a row to end the season at 15 and 67. So that is the worst of the uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves seasons. So Yeah, and we had to deal with Kurt Rambis, too. You know? He did have Kurt Rambis. Too. Yeah, we had, we had to deal with Kurt Rambis, yeah. Um, yeah, and Kevin Love only like played like – 
uh, under 30 minutes per game, even though he was like clearly the team's best player like, uh, <laughs> for like both those seasons. Because they, they win 17 games the next season. So he, he actually he does, he does play like 35 minutes the next season. So they corrected that. But um, yeah, that was a very uh, that was a whole strange situation. So. So, Rich, you know, we've been going pretty long here. We've got some other teams to uh, talk about uh, that have uh, some, some, I guess, fun Clippers teams. I'm going to put fun in quotes. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, none of this is fun, fun but yeah, I right. enjoy it. I mean, it's, I, I, I guess it's fun. Talking about bad teams is actually kind of fun. So, because right. good teams is like, yeah, they're good. They played and they scored and they stopped people from scoring. That's fun. Talking right. about bad teams and, and David Kahn and, and, and bad. I mean, this is this is fun. So, yeah, we've yeah. unfortunately gone very long in these first four. So. Right. So we got we have four more to cover. So I think we're going to put a pin in it here. We're going to come back for a part two and talk through the rest of those teams, give it the, the full attention that deserves. I mean, we definitely want to give, you know, the, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers franchise deserving of all of our time and attention. Uh, oh, sure. yeah, yeah. So, we got two Clippers teams. We got a Warriors team. We got the Mavericks. Yeah, they, these these need all the time. We can't rush through. Uh, the 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 terrible terrible Clippers runs, with the exception of like I love that uh, essentially with these Clippers. Just kind of give you a spoiler for uh, uh, right. episode two here, part two, uh, nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety one, and then nineteen ninety four to two thousand five. So essentially, <laughs> right. other than two years where they just squeaked by over five hundred, nineteen eighty to two thousand five, the, the the Los Angeles Clippers. I absolutely love it. So yeah, I can't wait. I absolutely love it. Yeah. So all right. So, yeah, we're going to wrap it up here. We will be, be back soon with uh, part two. Have, hope everyone enjoyed the uh, program. And uh, keep coming back. You can find us at um, at the step back at fansided.com. Uh, we are on all of the podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. Please check us out there. And also, uh, please leave us a rating and review if you dig what we're doing. Um Check out uh, Manscaped, the new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. So we're also on uh, Facebook and Twitter. If you want to uh, check us out there at Over and Back NBA, you want to send us a nice message, we would greatly appreciate it. So thanks everyone for listening. We're back again soon.